So for a period of seven or eight years, I was a youth pastor at Woodlands Church in Plover, Wisconsin. And um, during that time, I remember about year two, this strange phenomenon started happening. All of a sudden, I would start to see quarters left in really weird places where I would find them. So for example, I would go to my work mailbox, pull papers out, and this quarter would fall out. i say, hmm. Then I'd go to my desk, and I'd see a quarter sitting on my desk. One time, I remember, some months passed, and all of a sudden, I see a quarter on my chair in my office. I remember one time, Wednesday night, when I was getting ready to teach the youth, I went up, and the table where we, we laid out our stuff to teach, all of a sudden, I saw a quarter sitting right there. I remember one Sunday morning I was preaching for Pastor Brian because he couldn't preach and so I got up to the pulpit just like I did now to pray and I looked and here's this quarter sitting in the pulpit and I thought, what is going on? This went on for like a year. I had no idea. It's raining quarters and I don't know what's going on. I find them all sorts of places. I remember one time I went out after youth ministry and there was a quarter placed between my windshield and the wiper, kind of sitting right there so I could see it. So I started wondering, am I losing my mind? Is this really happening? And then one day I had a meeting with all the volunteers that um, were part of our youth ministry team at the time. And um, the meeting ended, a gentleman came up and he shook my hand and there was a quarter in there. And I said, you're the quarter guy. I go, what's going on? And he said, are you trying to drive me crazy or what? I go, this is weird. I'm just finding these quarters everywhere. And he said, well, what you don't know is when you find one quarter, there's actually two quarters. I said, what do you mean by two quarters? And this guy worked on the railroad in Stevens Point. He worked night shift. And he said, every time you find a quarter, there's another quarter that's in my boot when I'm walking the rail. And when I walk and I feel that quarter banging around against my foot, I pray for Pastor Dan. What a gift. It was a precious gift that I didn't know I had. But once I knew, I treasured it. The same is true with what we're going to talk about this morning. This morning we're talking about a thing called lament. And I'm going to explain what it is, but what you need to know about lament is it's this really, really precious gift that God gave his church, and many times we're not even aware of it. Many times we don't talk about it, we don't walk in it, we don't know it's there, but when we do and we find it, we treasure it, we cherish it. And so I want to talk about this thing called lament. Some of you have been around a while. You may remember that we did a whole series on this two years ago. Believe it or not, it's been two years. Uh, so for some of you, this might be review, and you might be saying, why are we doing this again? And the reason we're doing this again is because I don't want this thing called lament to just be a sermon series we hear and forget about. I don't want this thing called lament to just be a fad that we do at Crossview Church for a period of time and then we leave it. I want this to be entrenched in our souls. I want this to be sunk deep into our hearts so it's the reflex 
of what we do when we are hurt. Many of us as Christians experience pain. Many of us as people experience pain. And as one person eloquently said, it's, as Christians, it's like we hurt, but we don't know how to hurt. No one ever said, here's what you do with pain. But God did. The Bible did. And it's called lament. Some of the ways we deal with pain aren't always the most healthy. And so when you don't know the right way to deal with pain, which is lament, you begin to drift into all sorts of unhealthy ways to deal with pain. Because we all deal with pain in one way or another. And God gave us this precious gift to deal with pain. And it ties in well with what we've been talking about with prayer the last few weeks because prayer, uh, lament is expressed through prayer. You have what's called a prayer of lament. Back when we did this series, a book that was a resource for us that helped us was called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogrop. It's a great book all about this thing called lament, teaching us how to do it. And I love the title. When we experience dark clouds, there's this deep mercy that surrounds us. And we find that deep mercy through lament. So by way of definition, lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with pain and the promises of God. I'll say it again. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with pain and the promises of God. So I go through this pain and I'm hurting and I know God is good, but yet this doesn't feel good at all. What do I do with that? Lament. God's people are not exempt from suffering. Lamentations chapter 3 says this. But even if he, God, causes suffering, he will show compassion according to the abundance of his faithful love. For he does not enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind. So out of this heart of a good father that God is, allowing suffering to shape us, which I'm going to get into more in a minute, he gives us this grace out of his love called lament. He gives us this thing we are to do to help us in this process. Because here's the deal. Some of us need to really hear this right now, that suffering refines what we trust in and how we talk about it. There's certain things in our life that we can't produce in being a, a good follower of Jesus Christ, a good Christian, on our own. That God has to use different means to get us there. But when that means our suffering and it's hard, we should turn to God in lament. Because how do you turn to God in suffering? That's what lament's all about. This beautiful thing called lament allows us to turn to God in places of pain and suffering when we don't understand. I remember doing a funeral for a young mother who passed away very unexpectedly, left behind some kids. One of them was like an 11-year-old boy. And I remember I was talking with this 11-year-old boy after the service. We were sitting in the chair, and I was asking him how he's doing. And, and I said, so 
what do you, how do you imagine going forward? What do you think your next steps are? And he said to me, well, when things like this happen in life, it either draws you closer to God or it drives you away further from God. 11-year-old boy. When things like this happen, it either draws you closer to God or it drives you away from God. Lament is the gift that helps us in pain draw closer to God. Lament makes trust real. Lament draws us closer not only to God, but to his healing mercies and compassions. So how do we do this thing called lament? There's four key words. Trust, complaint, or turn, complaint, ask, and trust. Turn, complaint, ask, and trust. That's how lament is done. We turn to God first and foremost. We don't run from him. We turn to him. And then we bring our complaint. We pour out our pain. We tell him what's bugging us. We say, here's what's happening. We let God have it in a way. And then we ask for his help. And in this process, we end with leading to trust. But God, even in the midst of this, I'm going to trust you. And we see this pattern of turn, complaint, ask, and trust all over the Psalms. It's all over. It's a gift God gave us, a gift God gave you of how to deal with your hurt and your pain. And so we're going to look at one of those places. It's in Psalm 13. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Psalm 13. Or if you have a phone you can, with the Bible on it, you can turn it on to Psalm 13. And the goal of lament is to take hurt, pain, disappointment, and allow it to create a deeper trust in God. But what happens when we have turn, complaint, ask, and trust is sometimes we get stuck on the complaint part. Or sometimes we get stuck on the ask part. And we have to do the whole process. Because that's what we see the psalmist doing. Is the whole process. In this pattern, you'll see this pattern in many different psalms. I think something like over 60% of the psalms are lament psalms. And I think you see this pattern of the psalmist when they put this together. They were dealing with their hurt. And you may not see it in exact order of turn, complaint, ask, and trust. But you kind of see it sometimes and it's woven in and out. It comes back around. But they're all four elements are there when you look at it. We can get stuck sometimes in the complaint part or the ask part, and we have to choose to trust. We have to remember who God is. And what my prayer is is that this thing called lament becomes kind of reflexive for us as Crossview Church, and you as Crossview Church people, when you go through pain, that you will automatically move through this. And I pray that when you get to the end of turn, complaint, ask, I pray that you choose to trust in God's goodness. I can't do that for you. But I pray that you get to that place. I am hopeful through lament that God will lead you there. 
Remember, trusting in God is not a one-time thing for us as followers of Jesus. It's not like we pray one prayer lament and say, there, I did it. It doesn't work. No, you go through this process. Life is not that simple. Grief is not that simple. Loss is not that simple. It's painful. And so as it comes over and over, we go into lament over and over, leading to trust. One author said this, trust looks like talking to God, sharing our complaints, seeking God's help, and then recommitting ourselves to believe in who God is and what he has done, key words, even if the trial continues. So many people through this book who pour out their hearts and lament did so, but it didn't all go away. The pain wasn't magically gone. God will only stay true to what he promises us in his word. And he doesn't promise a life full of comfort all the time and pain-free existence all the time. But what he does promise is when we go through pain and we go through suffering, he will be with us. So how do we meet him there? Through this thing called lament. In this very short psalm, there's only six verses, we see this whole process of lament so clearly laid out. Look at verses one and two. David is coming, and what he does with verses one and two is he's combining the turn part and the complaint part. He's turning to God, and he's letting God have it. Look at verses one and two. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Why am I down all the time? How long will my enemy triumph over me? He's letting God have it. He's pouring out his heart and soul to God. This is part of lament. He's being real. We have this idea that Christians just put this little smile on their face and say, oh, I'm fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. That's not Christianity. Real Christianity is, how long are you going to forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? It's this gut-level realness during pain. That's what I love about lament. It's not painting over a whitewashed fence. It's being real with God. David is direct with God. He's not messing around. He's experiencing pain, and he jumps right in. But here's what I want you to catch. When you know the rest of the story with David, his ability to lament well created intimacy with him and God. His ability to lament well drove a greater friendship with him and God. His ability to lament well took him deeper into levels of God's love, care, and trust that he had before. Lament does that. When we're honest and we bring God this pain, that's what can happen. Lament increases our trust in God, but also it matures us spiritually. We might not believe it at the time of pain and suffering, but the truth is we need intimacy with God more than we need relief from our pain. We need closeness with God more than we need relief from all the painful things around us. 
And we get that way through this thing called lament. Now, people say it's hard for us to grab onto this because we all live in a comfort-seeking culture. We are blessed in the United States with many blessings that can help us blind ourselves to our pain. We have materialism and all these things we can experience through, I'm going to deal with my pain by pretending it's not there, by putting all this stuff in front. Well, some people don't have that option in the world. We avoid pain at all costs. And, so, and that's probably good. I mean, if you like pain, I think there's something wrong, right? I mean, you don't want to. But we avoid it at all costs. Comedian Brian Regan talks about this and says, doctors know this. If any doctors here, sorry, Doug Gallick was in the first service. I had apologized to him during the sermon. <laughs> because doctors don't ever tell you about pain. This is what Brian Regan, the comedian, says. He has this little bit. He says, doctors won't tell you about pain. You never have a doctor say you're going to experience pain. Doctors will tell you about pressure. You're going to feel some pressure. He says, if a doctor ever says to you you're going to feel some pressure, buckle up because you're going to feel pain like you've never felt in your life. In these opening verses, David is so honest and real, he's bringing his pain out. But notice, he's still turning to God. He still believes. He wouldn't say, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? How long must I wrestle with these thoughts? How long will my enemy triumph over me? If he didn't think God didn't, wasn't there. And in this cry of his heart, he's living out with another amazing person in the Bible, Job, who experienced horrible pain and suffering on levels that few of us know. Disease, loss, betrayal, outcast, all in one shot. And in the midst of that, Job said, though he, referring to God, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Another translation says, though he slay me, I will trust in him. Even in our pain, God is still God, and God is still worthy of our trust. A word on complaint. Some say, I thought the Bible says not to complain. Well, there's a godly complaining and an ungodly complaining. Godly complaining leads you to the heart of God. And it's healthy, and we see it all over in the Psalms. The next two verses of this lament, David shifts from turn and complaint. He gives his complaint, and then he goes to ask. Look at verse 3. David boldly asks, look on me and answer, Lord my God. He's saying, help me. Help me in this. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy may say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. He's saying, God, come and meet me in this place. We don't know exactly what's going on. We don't know what he's experiencing, but it's obviously something that troubled him greatly. And he's saying, God, my ask is that you'd meet me in this pain and help bring some sort of relief. Since we all deal with pain, we can all become people who pray this way. With this kind of passion, with this kind of boldness, God, look on me and answer me. David is wrestling with God. He's saying, God, I am not going to let you go until you help me with this. 
This wasn't just a few words of prayer and out the door. He stayed in there and he wrestled with God. He said, God, don't let my enemy be satisfied. Will you move now? Move in my heart and do something. Prayer like that changes history. Prayer like that breaks down all the stiff arms in our hearts towards God and lets the walls come crumbling down and us to fall into the loving, compassionate, merciful arms of God. Prayer like this forms us into people of Jesus. We will face hurt and trials and we will disappoint each other. But this is the way we deal with that. When that happens, when you get hurt at church or in your family or in your work, the knee-jerk reaction isn't to call your friends and, to, and rally a team and get an alliance to help make you feel better. The knee-jerk reaction is go to God. Turn to him. Pour out your complaint to him. Tell him what you were going to tell all your friends. Tell him what happened. Ask for help and trust in who he is. There's been misinformation floating around sometimes in the church world that the Christian life is one that's supposed to be pain-free and happy all the time. Now, we can have joy all the time. There's a difference between joy and happiness. And you can have joy in the midst of trial. It looks different sometimes. But we experience heartache in the Christian life. It's part of the deal. But God has a divine purpose in it. Paul David Tripp says this, God is working right now, but not so much to give us predictable, comfortable, and pleasurable lives. He isn't so much working to transform our circumstances as he's working through hard circumstances to transform us. Listen to that. Let me say it again. He isn't so much working to transform our circumstances. That's often what we pray. God, make this all go away. As he is working through hard circumstances to transform us. God, give me comfort in the midst of this. I don't know what you're doing. You have something that you have planned. I trust that. But help me right now in the midst of this time. In grace, he leads you where you didn't plan to go in order to produce in you what you cannot achieve on your own. God's goal is that we become like his son Jesus. And as Christians, we are on a journey to become more and more and more like Jesus. And when Jesus comes again or we die, that will be complete. But in the meantime... As we're on this journey to become more and more like Jesus, sometimes our own plans don't make it happen. And so God says, my divine purpose is that you be like my son, so I'm going to allow this to shape and to mold and to knock off of you some of the un-Jesus so that you can look more like Jesus. And when that's happening, the best thing we can do is turn and give complaint and ask. Look what David does next. 
in verses four or verses five and six, he moves from ask to trust. And there's something that is so amazing about this because if you look at this, verses five and six say this, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Look at verses one and two. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Verses five, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. It, it's almost like verses five and six are not the same person. You had this person saying, how long will you forget me forever? You, you, I wrestle with these thoughts. My sorrow goes on day after day. Look at me and help me. You have been good to me. It's like there's a different person there. Because I think there is a different person there. David goes and he turns to God and he complains and he asks. And then God meets him in that place. Brings transformation to his heart. There's something new going on between verse 4 and verse 5. And that great conjunction word that's there, but, after all that's going on, but, shift, I will change. Mark, I will trust in your unfailing love. God, you're going to let my enemies overcome me with this pain. Now I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. That conjunction marks a change in David's thinking. Something happened. Trust is believing what you know to be true even when the situation in front of you challenges that. Trust is knowing, is believing what you know to be true even when the situation in front of you challenges that. And in these two remaining verses, David gives us three affirmations of trust that I want you to see. And my hope and prayer is that these become more than just words on a page to us. But they sink deep in our souls to remind us of who God is when we go through rough times. The first one is this. David says, I trust in your unfailing love. But I trust in your unfailing love. God can be trusted. He has a history that's been proven. Trusting God is not this blind trust. Trusting God is a proven trust. God has moved powerfully and he has made himself known for generations and generations and generations and he's done everything he said he would do. He's faithful to his promise. That's why the promises that haven't been fulfilled yet we know are coming. He can be trusted. And what does David say he trusts in? His unfailing love. See, God has a track record of coming to broken people, picking them up, and carrying them with his unfailing love. And he's been doing it for centuries, pouring out his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his kindness, his love to people who experience pain and hurt and disappointment. David takes this painful experience he's going through and he connects it through the prayer of lament to what he knows to be true about God and who he is. And what he knows to be true about God's faithful love. 
To be a Christian means you trust in who God is and what he says and what he says about who he is. We trust the Bible is true. We believe that we can be forgiven and have new life. We trust that God brought us into this new family of his. But trust doesn't stop there for the Christian. Being a follower of Jesus requires we walk with a continual trust in God. Even when we experience things that rock that trust. And lament makes that possible. When life has been difficult for me, I turn to Psalm 13. And it acts as a guide for me to walk me through this process. And I often get to verse 5 and say that over and over. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. His faithful love can pick you up in the midst of tears and carry you to trust. Number two, David says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. Suffering never means that God forgets his children. Never, ever, ever. Time and time again, he rescues and he always remembers This statement connects our suffering to God's ability to save. This statement teaches us that God has a sovereign plan for our lives that he is working out, that the movie is not yet finished, the last chapter in the book has not been written, that God has not stopped and moving and working, and the sooner we lean into him through this thing called lament, the sooner we will trust that. Doesn't mean everything's gonna be kind and go away and be nice but our trust can be renewed. Mark Vrogop, who wrote that book, says this, choosing to trust through lament requires that we rejoice without having all the dots connected. We are obsessed as human beings to want to have all the dots connected. We decide to let God be his own interpreter trusting that somehow his gracious plan is being worked out even when we can't see it. Trust means we accept we don't have all the dots and it doesn't make sense, but God, you are still God. Some people say, I'm not going to trust until everything makes sense to me. That's not trust. We see this modeled in the humanity of Jesus, our Savior. When he was on earth and he was going to the cross, he went to the cross and he became your sin and he became my sin so that he could pay the penalty for our sin. And while Jesus was on the cross and now the sin of all human race before, present, and after was laid upon him, he took the sin upon himself. The Bible says, he who knew no sin, Jesus was sinless, now became sin for us. And on the cross, he took on our sin. And in that moment, something excruciating happened to Jesus. Because here's the backstory: You have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three persons of the Godhead, all three persons are God. They never had a beginning. 
They've always existed in perfect community and fellowship together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it was the deepest, most intimate, life-giving relationship. We can't even fathom with our heads what kind of life was giving in that kind of relationship because that relationship was without any sin. It was perfect. And it always was. It never had a beginning. So Jesus was in this perfect, amazing relationship with God the Father, God the Spirit, and then the cross happens. And at the cross, God the Father now has to punish our sin that Jesus is going to bear for us. And so the God the Father has to turn his back and pour out wrath upon his Son whom he was in perfect existence and community and relationship with always. And Jesus felt that. He felt this excruciating darkness of God the Father and God the Spirit pulling as they get ready to pour holy wrath upon God, upon Jesus, as he carries out his task to be the mediator for our sin. And you know what Jesus did in that moment? When he experienced that excruciatingly painful moment, we see pictures of the passion of the Christ and all the bloody torture that happened to Christ while he was on the cross, and it was awful. But I don't think any of that compared to what was going on in his soul. And in the midst of that excruciating time, you know what Jesus did? He lamented, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus modeled for us what to do with pain. And he says, take this thing called lament and allow it to be part of your life because that moment where Jesus experienced that Do you know what that gave us? That gave us a place where now sinful, broken human beings can be forgiven, restored, made whole, and be declared righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. We might not have the full picture, but we still need to trust. Look at the third thing David does. He says, I will sing to the Lord's praise. The Lord has been good to me. It's the final statement of trust in this psalm. We've moved through the tough questions. My God, my God, or or how long, O Lord, will you leave me? We've gone through those tough questions, and now we end in God-centered worship. As David allows this lament to reorient his heart, he makes the choice to praise and thank God for his grace, his mercy, and his blessings, and all that God has given him. God was not stingy. God was generous with his grace. And lament moves us through this process where we can truly embrace God in the midst of pain. Not in this fake Christian smile and, oh yeah, everything's fine, but I'm dying on the inside, so, and this is how, what I'm supposed to say. No, in a real, true, honest way. Mark Vrogop, who wrote that book, lost a daughter named Sylvia, and he wrote a pastor who he admired and told him what happened, and the pastor wrote a letter back that said this, keep trusting the one who keeps you trusting. Mm 
Keep trusting the one who keeps you trusting. You see, what makes lament real is it's fueled by God. Because as you encounter God, he picks you up in that place and he keeps you trusting. The human soul longs to know the joy of God. Let me say that again. The human soul longs to know the joy of God. We get there through a process where he hears our cries, where we turn to him. We pour out our complaint. We ask for his help, and we begin to trust. And we reaffirm our trust, and we keep trusting the one who keeps us trusting. Picture with me four different people, four different Christians, we'll say. Christian number one says this, I am not ever going to forgive her. Christian number two says this, I feel so guilty. Christian number three says, I'm not sure I'm going to ever make it beyond this amount of pain and loss. Christian four says, I am so depressed. All four of these Christians need to lament. They all need to lament. And as they do, and the Holy Spirit of God meets them in that place, they will experience God in a profound way in the midst of the pain that will take them deeper into his mercy and into his grace. Let's pray.